Ba 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 ba. Ba 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 ba. So what? So what? So what? You gave me some fruit. So what? So what? I've got lots of work. So what? You saw so many films. So what? Were any of them good? Who cares? You care you're listening. So what? <laughs> Now this is an intro. <laughs> Jen and the Film Critic. My name is Jen, and with me is my film critic Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello. Oh no, I could have said nope. Oh. Uh, uh, oh, I've, uh, that's a little uh, hint for us. Oh, uh, bullet train. <laughs> okay, you're not making sense anymore. Oh, uh, whoops. Bullet train to you. Bullet train to you too, Paul. <laughs> As we say on this fine Friday. <laughs> this fine bullet trainy Friday. Mm-hmm. Welcome. So, Uh, I think I can guess two of the films you've watched recently. That's right. Bodies, bodies, but no, we're going to start with Nope. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, nope. Yes, Nope. Yeah, yes. No. Nope. nope. What do you know of yeah. Nope? What is the, what marketing has reached you about Nope? I watched, the tra- I watched the trailer several months ago. Oh, yeah. Because this is, um, oh, you know the director's names. <laughs> the guy who did Get Out, right? Yes, it's Jordan Peele. That's his name. Jordan Peele of Key and Peele. Hmm. Um, who did Get Out, which everyone, I remember everyone raving about. And so a few years later, I broke my rule on not watching horror films and mm. watched that. And while it is a horror film, I do agree it is very good and worth a very, watch. Very, very good. And Absolutely. more like just a thriller kind of thing. Yes. It's creepy. It's just creepy. It's more like a creepy thriller. It feels like with some deaths, but not, yeah. I don't know. It, I did watch it behind a pillow, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't watch Us, but I watched the trailer because, yeah. you know, just... I was curious it's a about what it was stylish trailer. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, and then I saw um, the trailer for this several mm. months ago, and thought, nope. <laughs> <laughs> But I am curious. Aptly about, named. <laughs> I am curious about what it's about. Yes. So, okay. Um, that's it. But yes, I have been aware of the film for a while, but I'm not sure if that's just because mm. I went on an internet binge of trailers. I don't know. I'm not. I'm yeah. not your average representative of finding out about <laughs> films anymore. No, but it has gotten out there. This is a very good. highly publicized horror film oh, and it's special for that. Um, yes, this is Jordan Peele's third horror film and therefore has a lot to live up to after um, Get Out and Us. Now, in spite of positive critical and public reception and good box office, it has proven a little divisive in terms of its online discord. But that okay. might just be because this is from Get Out director Jordan Peele. Um, I'm worried that he may have done a bit of a Citizen Kane and sort of done his best movie first. Mm. Um, and consequently, every subsequent film is going to be judged in the shadow of that. Tricky. It is tricky when you do that, when you make a masterpiece right off the bat. Mm. So we have OJ and M. OJ and M, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. They run their dead dad's uh, ranch providing horses to movie productions. Okay. And uh, also some weirdo child actor who's doing something with them. He's played by uh, Stephen Ewan. Uh, former child actor, I should say. It's not Stephen Ewan <laughs> as a child actor. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, all grown up now and something horrible happened in his past and you'll find out about that. Um, OJ wants to do just horse business, but really good, whilst M wants something more. And then something aliens attack. <laughs> Which is what should have happened in Aladdin, in every Disney princess thing. It's just, I want something more than aliens attack. And it's like, actually, actually quite no, good I'm before. Actually, I'm quite happy with yeah. this. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine. <laughs> 
I'm fine. This is what needs to happen to me every time I'm like, I want something more. And then aliens (laughs) attack and I'll go, you know what? I was happy with what I had. Actually. Actually, you know what? I take it back. You're right. I was being ungrateful. Sorry, (laughs) mum. You know what? Being able to get food delivered to your house is actually really good compared to alien attack. So, (laughs) yeah. So cinematically it's near perfect it's an incredibly engaging horror movie that manages that very tricky thing of making horror big sometimes i feel like horror is like comedy it's best when it's like small and feels like it's being done by just a few people you know of whatever means they have Mm. and when it goes big scale you're really like aware of the amount of effort that's gone into it and it gets a bit the 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 simple communication of like scares or laughs gets lost in translation Mm. Um, nevertheless, there are some really good scare sequences that are on a grand scale. Two sequences in particular, one involving a tragedy on the fe- set of a sitcom and another involving a mass abduction are two of the most like memorable horror set pieces that I've seen in a long time. Okay. They're really gripping and yeah, just very, make you very uncomfortable in a very good way. There's a gorgeous aesthetic going on. The uh, production design, particularly the design of the sort of creatures, is extremely good. Um, Very memorable. Uh, One of the big thingies um, involved was apparently based on the biblical description of what certain angels look like. Ooh, I know that gets creepy. It gets weird. (laughs) It gets really bizarre, some of the descriptions of how angels are. And one in particular is like these weird rings of eyes. Ooh. And yeah, there's a... Yeah, there's something about that in here, which is just great. I love stuff like that. It's one of the few good things about that remake of Hellboy is they had some very good demon design in it that sort of captured that unknowable Lovecraftian kind of horror to it. Mm. Are you now looking at pictures of original angels? I'm just trying to find pictures of the angels in this. (laughs) I'm loving angels instead. If you do like... um... (laughs) Ah, no! No! Through it all. Offers me oppression. <laughs> a lot of scares and... If I Google original angel design, that's just going to sound like... Let's see what I get. Oh, no, <laughs> the original just... design before they cast David Boreanaz in Yes, the role. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you don't get anything particularly... Oh, no, that's... No, Look, you don't get anything biblical, interesting. Biblical angels should uh, mess you up. Mess you up good and proper. Biblically accurate angel. There we go. Yes. Oh, yeah. They are yeah. kind of terrifying, aren't they? Why are we... <laughs> Why was the Bible so messed so, up? I don't know. So how it was. I don't know. Maybe there was some Gosh. form of This is this is the original uh it's the original sci fi, the original creativity. It people, was. Um, just there wasn't much to do that then. Had a lot of fun. I mean, unless you believe in it and that and which Oh sure. But in that case it really so, happened. But um, um there's a whole Twitter account devoted to people putting weird stuff in illustrations. Um, me- weird medieval guys where mm. just monks illustrating Bibles were just like, eh, maybe this looked like a weird lizard dude. <laughs> this not? this Moses. I don't think there's any authoritative description of him, so I'm going to do does what it, I want. Does it specifically say in the Bible he was human? <laughs> or was he a hilarious dog cop? That's what I posit now. I'm going to become a medieval illustrator. Um, I think there's still time for that. I think so. Come on. Don't tell me that these jobs don't exist. It's just, you know, how did he get? It's just not a course for it at your local college. Anyway. Brilliant pacing, unlike this episode. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, let's get back on track. Come on. Brilliant pacing sweeps you along. We also have incredible performances from Daniel Kaluuya, um, who uses his big, beautiful eyes for sort of laughs quite often because his his expression often epitomizes the very concept of nope. And just, you know, he often looks like things that are happening are exactly as bad as he expected them to be. And it's it's very amusing, but there's also a deep poignancy and 
you know, kind of hurt in there, as we know that he does. Mm. You know, he's Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, yeah, he's just the best and gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and also Kiki Palmer, who's just this ball of energy, who's, yeah, really quite a dynamic character to watch. And Stephen Ewan is here in a very enigmatic and kind of creepy role, which is quite good. He's often seen sort of smiling to himself, and it's not entirely clear what he's up to. And yeah, that's quite yeah. fun. Cool. Uh, but the themes are confusing, and this is Jordan Peele, so you know the themes are going to be writ large. Um, we've got concerns regarding animal cruelty, especially in the context of film production. Mm. And this idea of respect nature, don't exploit it. And then we have black contributions to cinema being overlooked, which gets mentioned and might be a part of the premise because they are trying to get a picture of the alien after all. But I don't know if they get overly ignored as a result of doing that. There's also to do with spectacle. The movie opens with an Old Testament quote, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. And the idea is that the movie is concerned with our obsession with spectacle and the sort of dehumanizing effect of that. But I'm not quite sure how that's resolving itself or what he has to say about that. Mm. Don't, don't turn tragedy into spectacle because the act of watching the movie is kind of an act of beholding tragedy, albeit an invented tragedy, and is very enjoyable for that. <laughs> so is it a kind of, you know, one of those self-hating kind of Michelle Hanneker, you're not meant to be enjoying this kind of movies? Like, how dare you enjoy all this epic suffering that I'm, I've wrought masterfully? Like, <sighs> it's all a bit messy and I'm not quite mm. sure what the point is. And that's not usually a big issue, but it, it feels quite pres- uh, present. And especially as character motivation becomes somewhat obfuscated to the point of characters seemingly acting arbitrarily, mm. which may have been aggravated by a really Nolan-esque approach to sound mixing uh, that made it quite he- hard to hear what people were saying, especially in the third act. Mm. And it wasn't just our cinema, I've heard reports of this. So it makes you ask, why was Get Out better than this? And I think it's because it's as well made, it's as engaging and it's as exciting, but... I think it's the solid relationship of the thematic concern to the emotional story being told. Here, I feel like we lose track of the characters and the relationship the two the two siblings have with each other in the third act. It gets too bogged down in what it's trying to say, and then what it's trying to say is too confusing for it to be a completely satisfying experience. So it's four stars. I still highly recommend mm. it and highly recommend it in cinemas, but it is it is a bit of a disappointment, and I just really hope that Jordan Peele isn't sort of destined to be disappointing in the future i hope he's able to pull out get out part two and you know something that's really gonna wow us and just be completely satisfying but in the meantime i'm just glad that he's still getting the budget to make movies like this yeah of course that's always that's a good start oh yeah Mm. absolutely and i will say get out was is the one horror film i could ever say i've enjoyed (laughs) so that's a big statement that's a big statement (laughs) when it comes to Uh, horror films he is my entire top 10 list (laughs) get out what about alien is that count is that i think it's horror i think it's sci-fi horror is that count i think is i think that is count i guess i would sort of because it's sci-fi as well i would kind of put it in sci-fi fair enough because it's horror but in a in the way that sci-fi stuff always has something creepy in it yeah, that's true. Sci-fi is, sci-fi is very related to horror. I've often thought mm. the, the people's preference whether they like Aliens or Alien comes down to whether they prefer horror or action because mm. Alien is a great horror movie and Aliens is a really great action movie. But then Goodman's an action guy and he preferred Alien on our last mm. rewatch. So, mm. I mean, Alien was great. So if, I've got to, if I'm putting it in the horror camp at all, then... <laughs> yeah. 
Get out. That's also in there. Alien. <laughs> Get out an alien. That's it. The Adams Family? The Adams Family. It's great. I'd say that's horror. Spooks oh, horror? Mm. <laughs> well, if we're going down that route, then Muppet's Treasure Island also scared me as a child. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. We have to draw it's a, it's a, a broad... somewhere. Maybe somewhere, but it's above Muppet's Treasure Island, but yeah. below Adams Family. Yeah. Bullet Train! Bullet Train. Bullet, Bullet Train. train. Bullet Train to you all. David Leach, uh, the director of Deadpool 2, directs this adaptation of a Japanese novel, Mar- Mariah Beetle, uh, by Kotaro Isaka. Uh, and it does feel a lot like an adaptation of a Japanese mm-hmm. piece of media. Uh, Brad Pitt plays Ladybug, a hired assassin. This time only hired to retrieve a case from a Japanese bullet train. But it's more complicated than it seems. Ow. Oh, it shouldn't, Ow. Could have, couldn't have been easy. Couldn't have just had him do that and then spend the rest of the... Rest of the movie on a voyage of self-discovery in Japan as he tries to re-establish his identity and romances a young woman who's also fleeing from her own personal demons. But that movie will never be made. Ugh, shame. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. It'd be quite good. Yeah, instead there's a whole bunch of other eccentric assassins on the train, each doing their own jobs and getting in each other's way and causing all manners of hilarious hijinks. What are they like? Yeah, what are these guys like? It's like, how do they ever kill anyone? They're so (laughs) kooky. Oh, how do you get any work done around here when you're all such characters? Ah! Ah! <laughs> Him get the person wondering that, getting murdered. Actually, he just stubbed his toe, he's fine, but then he got... He's fine. Yeah. Silently. <laughs> you could compare this quite favourably to Joe Carnahan's Smoking Aces from, like, 2006. A similar sort of bunch of assassins doing a job kind of thing. I think it's better than that because it has a better sense of character, or at least a more fun sense of character. Mm. Um, it has a more consistently dark comedy tone to it, where everybody's just kind of put upon in spite of the fact that they're, you know, doing this terrible job. Um, it has a more interesting sort of visual world to it. This The way in which they keep this bullet train feeling vibrant and exciting is quite good. And they don't cut away from the train too often for flashbacks, because I find that's a bit of a cop out. Mm. There's standout performances from Aaron Taylor Johnson as uh, one half of these twins. Who are there? The other half of the twins is uh, doing a bit of a ropey British accent. <laughs> Nevertheless, Aaron Taylor Johnson is good fun as this sort of exasperated, um, more professional of the two. Okay. Uh, and then Joey King is playing this kind of Lolita-esque uh, femme fatale character who, yeah, she's a lot of fun. She's very duplicitous and um, sort of very willing to sort of act the victim uh, in order to get close to the people she wants to kill, which is good fun. fun. It's fun to see her be uh, diabolical. <laughs> The film opens, or at least very early on mentions, a Cormac McCarthy quote. Um, actually, it's tricky calling it a Cormac McCarthy quote because it's a line of character in No Country for Old Men says. Um, it's always tricky when you associate a character mm. saying something as a quote from the author because, you know, otherwise you could quote Robert Harris as saying, I love Hitler from all his, <laughs> all his Hitler books. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a quote in there which is very good. You never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from. Okay. It's very good, but and this movie is kind of thematically concerned with the idea of luck. Uh, Deadpool 2, of course, you had the character of Domino, I think her name was, played by Zazie Beetz, who's also in this. And that character was all, her superpower was that she was very lucky. Mm. So fights would just go her way and she'd avoid all bullets and like she'd do something crazy and it would happen to tie in with what she was doing. There's that idea in this. Um, and it's mostly good action, although it suffers from some bad CGI, especially in what should have been the big set piece where the train sort of shears through and derails another train. Mm. which just looks like nothing and, you know, is moved on very quickly from, which is a shame. But the meat of the film, the bit that you're actually enjoying watching, is the fun of seeing how the farce complicates further. 
how conflicting motives are working against each other, sometimes incidentally and accidentally, uh, and how amusing, uh, amusingly preposterous the coincidental collisions of destiny end up becoming. Uh, to its credit, it manages to keep this interconnectedness going even into the big noisy climax, and the only thing holding it back is that you may struggle to invest in the actual characters, um, as they are often just awarded a single character quirk or backstory element each. Otherwise, it's fun. Yeah. And I'm glad it exists as a non-franchise action movie that's better than The Grey Man. Um, and I'm glad it was actually released in cinemas. So, yeah, I'm going to give three stars to A Bullet Train. Three stars to The Bullet Train. Three stars to The Bullet Train. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Hmm. I, give it a rec- I give it a recommend. I give it a recommend. Great. We yeah. give it three recommends. Three recommends. This three is earlier. Three recommends out of five. <laughs> this is uh, earlier than our usual record time, f- folks. And uh, <laughs> I had a bath not too long ago that was too hot. And Oh, how are you doing anything for the rest of the day? Yeah, it's Ooh. not great. But nevertheless. A morning bath? Nah. Morning bath? Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that wipes me out for the whole day. Yeah, I feel really quite genuinely tired. And I'm going to take... A long drink on a short glass of water. <laughs> Better sort myself out, though. Oh. Because we've got to talk about bodies, bodies, bodies. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> Come get Bod- some bodies. Bodies, bodies, bodies. That was Catherine Zeta-Jones from uh, The Phantom. Ah, oh, excellent. Yeah. Saying bodies, 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 because she may as well have, because this is very vampy. Um, yes, this is the English language debut of Dutch actor director uh, Helena Rain. I did this, I did look this up. R e i j n. I think it's Rain. 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 Helena Rain. It's from Amsterdam. So Helena Rain. Helena Rain. Helena Rain. Though you'd never know it for how natural the dialogue feels in this. Um, you know, it's. it's Den- it's um she's dutch so it's just gonna of be course so it's not denmark it's the netherlands of course she's fluent in english everyone in europe is except you know well, except us especially right, the dutch right gov <laughs> yeah. um sophie she's played by amanda stenberg who played rue in the hunger games oh yeah she's grown up well hunger game Ooh. Ugh, whoops um <laughs> she's a hunger game <laughs> oh god well, luckily she did survive, and she's old enough to get to get some. As we start the movie with her <laughs> making out with her new boy- girlfriend B, played by Maria Bakalov, who is going to voice who's going to voice Cosmo the Space Dog in Guardians of the Galaxy Three, which is very very oh, good news. Fun, <laughs> yeah. Cosmo the Space Dog is a golden lab who um, speaks with this heavy Russian accent in most of the media he's in, and now he's going to have like a young girl's Russian accent, and I'm very Amazing. happy about it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that movie. Yeah, um, yeah. They both attend a hurricane party ho- held by Sophie's old friends, but there's obviously a fair amount of beef between everyone. Beef, beef. You can't stand party beef <laughs> unless it's Asda's own party beef selection set. We're sponsored this month by <laughs> Asda. Thank you, Asda, for sponsoring the show. Please check out their party beef selection. <laughs> Asda, yum yum delicious. Are you sure you're not meant to cook this? It says on the packet. Yeah, just eat it. Just eat it raw. (laughs) Just eat it raw. That's Asda raw. Da 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 da. (laughs) Ham (laughs) ham. Oh, but what could break up the tension better than a a secret identity game? Always works for me. 
<laughs> yes, they play a murder game reminiscent of Among Us, but in real life. But then real dead bodies start showing up. Uh oh. I hate it when that happens during Among Us. I was just going to yeah. say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. Well, I don't care what you say. This secret Hitler has gotten a lot more tense since he introduced the actual gun. <laughs> secret Hitler is a board game. I should do <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going on record. Secret Hitler is a board game, and it's very good. <laughs> oh my God! What was what was I involved in? Yeah, we've Uh-oh. never played it together, Paul. Uh oh. No. <laughs> All our social interactions just feel like that. <laughs> I always feel like you're trying to figure out if I'm a fascist or not. Oh, it's tricky on the fence. Ooh, I, is I he? Often, isn't he? I often say I'm not. Yeah, that's not enough. Oh, dang it. Hmm. <sighs> Well, I'll tell you what is enough, and it's this movie, because it's a very clever whodunit with an absolutely fabulous twist at the end that feels well-established and very deserved. Um, It's essentially just a story about people unraveling, and in spite of the Gen Z affectations, which they highlighted in the trailer, which did have me nervous that this would be a aren't-young-people-ridiculous kind of movie, Mm. the film is willing to poke fun at its protagonists, but it doesn't feel cynical or mean-spirited or like it's been made by a 40-year-old white man. You know, these are real people struggling to communicate with each other, um, and they're not especially worse at that for being part of the generation that they are. They just have a different vocabulary to describe the same issues that people always have with each other. You know, so someone Mm. might say, you know, you're toxic or you're triggering me or, you know, you're escalating or stuff like that. But, you know. It's the same problems. It's the same problems. They're just young people. They suck. Of course. I young sucked. People you sucked. Suck. We all sucked when we were young. Everybody just sucked when they were young. They were no <laughs> good and they needed to be isolated from themselves and each other until they were old enough to develop a crippling sense of self-doubt. Mm. <laughs> and one that they could manifest, you know, healthily through podcasts. <laughs> one of them is a podcaster. <laughs> Um, Not to say that it doesn't feel of its time, because it does. It actually feels very naturally part of the present moment. Um, And when the girls take a break to do like a TikTok challenge dance, it's not played for laughs or some kind of condemnation, but just the way that these girls have fun together and bond. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, why not? It actually, it manages to be really funny and tense and a little bit saucy in places. Mm. Um, Yeah. And it uh, keeps you guessing and excited about what's going to happen next. And, you know, definitely guessing. Yeah, you have no idea what's going to end up happening in the movie or and it you know you keep changing who the most likely suspect is and then the actual twist just feels so well deserved and well established um i'll be curious to see if it holds up to a second watch when you know what's happening but i'm guessing it will um Mm. and that there will be more sort of lies and secrets and little missing details um beyond who the, the central mystery of who is killing who so yeah i'm gonna give it all five stars right now wonderful yeah i think it's gonna end up in the top 30 list i really enjoyed it cool very good yeah. nice <laughs> and i don't think it's too it's more of a thriller than a horror so um oh, okay like the horror aspects are just you know screen based you know people walking around a house and occasionally someone will jump out and go Bleh. but you know there's not too much in the way of like disturbing concepts it's more just yeah a character driven drama okay yeah. You say that, but you've you've neglected to mention all the horrible deaths, haven't you? I mean, there's a few deaths, but generally speaking, you don't see them happen. They just kind of, the bodies just show up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And they can be a little grisly, but, you know, it's not, <laughs> I, I don't know what it's rated even. Like, I'd be surprised if it's an 18. It feels more like okay. a 15 style oh, deal. Interesting. Especially nowadays, eh? Yeah. Although it might get rated higher because it has some saucy lesbian kissing going on. and How sent- dare and- they? 
homophobic um, censors tend to uh, award uh. higher certificates to the same amount of action that goes on between same-sex couples as they would to um, heterosexual couples. Well, we've got to protect the children, Paul. They mustn't know that sometimes awesome things happen. <laughs> yes. How, <laughs> how can we expect them to understand? They need the context. <laughs> Look, when you grow up, you're going to discover that some people are really cool. Yeah. And uh, you're just going to have to try and deal with that. Yeah, the context being the people on screen are cooler than you and you can't cope with that. <laughs> I can't cope with that. None which is why, Which is why I'm glad that the invitation came out this week. <laughs> the invitation. Next film. Yeah, the invitation. Um, a young American woman played by beautiful British actor uh, Natalie Emmanuel. Uh, is invited to the English countryside by a cousin she didn't know she had. <laughs> and it all goes fine. Nothing goes wrong. There's no creepy incidents or weird relatives. And she goes home all the richer for knowing that her family aren't weird ghosts or anything. The end. Great. Yep. Goes absolutely funny. I'll watch it. <laughs> the film is directed by Jessica M. Thompson, but originally had Sam Raimi involved, which makes sense. It makes sense. And I feel like it is lacking the Raim Raim mm. because you needed that sort of big high ambition scare show pieces that showcases that um set pieces sorry <laughs> just replaced <laughs> the wrong part of the word that i got wrong <laughs> um you needed the big set pieces that he's always been able to deliver there's nothing here that we haven't seen before it's very cliched quite silly oh. and a little bit dull in places it's it's basically just her in this gothic manner something creepy's going on with the family there's obviously something relating to her past and mm. You know, meanwhile, the help are being sort of picked off one by one. It reminds me of the 90s adaptation of The Haunting with Catherine Zeta-Jones and and Liam Neeson, uh, which I saw when I was a kid and was unfamiliar with very standard horror tropes. And so it had me, yeah, a little scared. Mm. Um, But I kind of just psyched myself into it, I think. Just, oh, it's a horror movie and I'm a 10-year-old. It's going to be scary. Mm. But... As an older adult, it's very obvious when the film is going to wrong foot you, when, you know, just an innocuous character is going to show up and the music's going to go, da! <laughs> and, you know, it's obvious where the scares are going to come from, and the actual scare moments aren't very interesting or original. Mostly realised with uh, CGI monsters that aren't, that are by necessity to the plot quite hard to see because they want to, you know, hide the fact that obviously it's the family that are the monsters. Right. Um, although Malignant had a much better approach to that. Hmm. I recently ruined your life by showing you the uh, trailer for Smile. Yes, you did. Yes. I did do that. Yes, um, yes. And I, I did I that because... I haven't slept since. <laughs> and you've always been, gr- you've been grinning solidly at me throughout this entire thing, which could only be because you're haunted yeah, now. I am haunted. You're a haunted Jen. Mm. Um, Smile- I shared that because Smile has at the end of it a very inventive scare um, that I hadn't... Yeah. In so, the trailer, you mean? In the trailer, yeah. Mm. Um, which I hadn't seen before and amused me. Yes. Um, to the point that I wanted to share it with with young traumatizable people that I like know, like me, like a me, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, this movie just doesn't have any of that. It's no. all you know, as you'd expect. You know, oh, there's a creepy mirror, and oh yeah, there's someone behind me now. Okay, great. Okay, great. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll just deal with that then. It is hyper stylized to the point of looking like a straight streaming film or a hallmark themed mm. like Halloween romance film. Uh, the heavy-handed color correction work gives it that bland, smoothed-over look that the Twilight movies had. So that uh, the unfortunate effect is that everybody looks uncanny, as if they're wearing like a makeup face of some sort. <laughs> like they're gonna tear it off, like Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible movie. There's just something <laughs> slightly off about everyone's faces, and 
Nothing feels real, especially the dialogue, which is very clunky. Yeah. Under the surface, there's something about male fantasies and the concepts of um, harems mm. uh, and how inherently sexual and dehumanizing those sort of fantasies are and how that then pertains to a class system and a master-servant relationship. But it's not more than just the scene in a Disney TV movie where the princess makes everybody be nice to the staff. But make no mistake, there shall still be staff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll just we'll just we'll we'll be we'll say we'll remember their actual names, but they will continue to serve <laughs> us tea. Yes, progress. Ooh, look Ooh. Let's go. Maybe you could serve me the tea for once. <laughs> what a mad madness that would be. <laughs> there are three things that save this movie from being generic. Firstly, mm-hmm. Natalie Emmanuel, who is very charming and relatable and authentic, but the performance does get lost after the big reveal, as so often happens because. As we've discussed, actually, in Quest Fantastic, the uh, extra talk thing that you can hear in the Patreon if you pay. Oh, um, yes, for our D&D show. Absolutely. Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> a little, A little uh, sneak preview of some of the great conversations going on there is that it's tough to maintain a character after the action kicks in. Yes. You know, it's tough to make character felt through business, you know, once mm-hmm. it happens. And the business of a horror movie, you know, she's hiding under a table and trying not to make noise as somebody's stalking around the room, as we've seen hundreds of women do in horror movies over the generations so how do you keep it her when all she's doing is like trying to hold her breath and like be scared how do you keep that character going through and when that's most of the third act you really do lose that connection to the character in most bad horror movies Mm. and it's hard to maintain but the best ones do it well um second there is a saving grace sequence that works as intended and it's not the dinner sequence which takes place um sorry it's not the dinner sequence which is clearly intended to be the big set piece Instead, there's a fairly trite manicure sequence where Natalie Emmanuel is led by her two very vampy um, supposed uh, new cousins down Mm. to a spa where one of them, who is very Catherine Um, (laughs) Zeta-Jones, gets naked and starts swimming around a pool whilst um, casually insulting Natalie Emmanuel and she gets a (laughs) manicure done. And it's it's taking the place of the classic scene that you see where like the bad guy offers to shave the good guy and it's like running a blade over his neck and there's like loads of tension. Uh. Yes, the the Catherine Zeta Jones one is played by Stephanie Corneliuson and mm. she is just giving it her all and it's really great. <laughs> That's true. And the sequence is well edited, sound design is great, builds well. She doesn't have the lines. Like one early on one of her lines is just, Your life in New York sounds so humdrum. And it's like, oh, you needed something witty there, but I love the way you've delivered that, you crazy goddess of a woman. (laughs) (sighs) So you've got to love that. Um, And that brings us really to the main reason that I might recommend the invitation to some people, which is, if you haven't been able to tell, it's actually very silly. And it works quite well as a camp movie, especially thanks to all the British performers who feel like Americans playing English people. (laughs) Hugh Skinner seemingly reprises his cringy role from the new Poirot films as the Englishman who's mm. so mumbly and apologetic that he's in danger of swallowing his lower lip. <laughs> uh, Thomas Doherty is the love interest and he's the lord of the manor. And he looks like if you took the most stereotypically handsome bits of Michael Fassbender, Charlie Cox and Henry Cavill and like smushed them into a face. The fact that he has starred in Disney musicals like The Descendants is not a surprise. Uh-huh. He looks animated. And he is frequently seen in the movie with his top four shirt buttons undone. And he looks dreamily off into the distance so that he can dramatically turn to Natalie Emmanuel. And at one stage, Katie did actually have to tell me to stop laughing at him. (laughs) It was too much. Ah. 
every time a door got opened, I just imagined him like sprawled out on the Shaylong. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. His name You've is returned. Tom. His name is Thomas Doherty, and yes, he speaks in that English voice. Oh, I hope I didn't. Doherty or Doherty? Uh, Doherty. Do we? D-O-H-E. But like Pete Doherty. Oh, is it? Was well, D O H E R T Y? Yeah, I thought that was oh, okay. pronounced Doherty. Oh, I thought it was Doherty. one of those weird English names that is pronounced nothing like it's spelled. Absolutely ridiculously nothing like it. Yeah, I see exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, like he's a handsome man, but like the way he is filmed in this. <laughs> Talked to Doherty instead of um, and I got Matt Doherty. I recommend googling Matt Doherty to get the contrast to <laughs> compared to what I was after. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> God, there's also a fair amount of ha- um, Harry Styles about Thomas Doherty. The fourth yes. image on his Google, that smile, is basically him throughout the entire movie. <laughs> okay. And it's just, yeah. oh my God. There's a lot of it's, upper lip in that smile. There's a lot of upper lip and his, his... Just working hard. His whole face moves. I'd be amazed if this guy wasn't a model. He's got such a oh, blue steel. He was in Teen Vogue, so... Yeah. 100%. <laughs> It's just it's it's too much. Yeah. Oh, he's <laughs> a Gossip lot. Girl. Ooh. Probably the remake, I imagine. Is he the titular Gossip far too Girl? Young to have done the original. <laughs> oh God, is Gossip Girl old? Oh, no. Gossip Girl's old. Oh no. They remade it, right? Am I thinking of something else? I never watched any of them. My yeah. friends did. I was aware of them. It felt very new and, and teeny when I was about. 10 years younger so yeah <laughs> everyone who liked uh, gossip girl is now definitely a grandmother mm-hmm. oh, that's a shame but yes it's a very silly and fairly unoriginal film that is not devoid of fun but natalie emmanuel deserves better so i'm gonna ah. give it two stars because i was fairly bored ah oh well oh well. that's fine just google pictures of thomas doherty and mm-hmm. matt doherty and uh, imagine the film based on that yeah Fair enough. Based on that. I was got Hugh Skinner, who I recognise from Fleabag. Oh, really? Well, he he's in the new Poirot movies. He plays Buch, and mm. um, he's kind of unbearable in that as well. Is that where you know him from? I'm flying a kite! He's... <laughs> he's been in quite a lot of stuff, to be fair. He has that kind of lower lip thing where he just looks like he's dreadfully sorry about everything he's saying. Mm. That's my auntie. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, oh god! It's yeah. There's something cr- a bit cringy about the whole endeavor. Nevertheless, yes. it's a bit fun. Bit of fun. Um, a good movie for the background of a Halloween party, I think. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, perhaps I can offer you something a bit more. There's a lot of horror movies in this week's lineup. This is mm-hmm. most the last one, the last straight horror, anyway. Okay. This is the feast. The feast. The feast. A is Welsh. This Welsh. This is a Welsh yes. horror film. You know how I know that? I remember it from the London Film Festival program from last year. <laughs> the new London Film Festival gets uh, program gets released next year, so I'm looking forward to you knowing substantially more about the movies I see than I do. <laughs> yes, for a full year. How do I know this is a Welsh horror film? I don't know, but it stayed in my head when I read the, uh, the thing. Yes, it is a Welsh horror film, and it's actually remarkable in itself for being a Welsh film, but more on that later. Mm, true. This is a film by TV director Lee Haven Jones, who's worked on a whole bunch of like Welsh-based like television stuff and like English stuff set in Wales. His feature film debut, I believe. A mysterious young woman, Annis Elwi, mm-hmm. um, is hired from the nearby village to serve as a maid to a fancy dinner held in the by the area's MP, his wife, and their two weird sons, uh, to be attended by some very important people. Uh, the family are clearly up to something, but there's also more to young Caddy than meets the eye. Uncanny Ooh. Caddy. 
she's beginning to act very strangely. Interesting. So, I attended a preview screening of this with the director, producer, and lead actor, and mm. uh, much was made of this being a Welsh film, and specifically a Welsh language film. Uh, Jones observes that the output of Welsh films is incredibly low, even when compared to similarly populated countries like Iceland. Mm. You know, mm. there are Icelandic movies. You know, there's Lamb that came out last year, which is, you know, a, a, quite a large hit. So there is a perceived lack of a Welsh cinema. Mm. And indeed, when I think about, like, Wales on film, I tend to think of, like, American productions that went to Wales, like Polanski's Macbeth was shot in Wales and is the or, rainiest film ever made. Yeah. <laughs> or, st- or English, you know, what feel like English films where they filmed some of it set in Wales. Yeah, if you I need can't a think of an. I can't think... I've not personally ever watched a Welsh language film. Mm. I can't think of No, one, so. no, there's very few. Um, mm. My own it's connection... Yeah, it is a shame. And my own connection to Wales is... Um, Fairly light, like we used to go on holiday there every year, so every summer I would go to Wales oh, yeah. as a child. Yeah. Wonderful um, place. It's a wonderful place, and it's a really great language, actually. It has that wonderful sound to it. Oh, yes. Yes, a very, yeah, it's very, it's very enjoyable to hear. <laughs> so I'll focus on the positive of the film, and then I'll come back to this point. It is creepy. It looks good. The performances are generally very good, very sinister. Uh, there's a palpable sense of menace that builds quite well and keeps you guessing as to, you know, there's a good ambiguity going on about who's up to what and where the actual threat is. And there is something very powerful about hearing the Welsh language on film. But therein lies my big issue, because aside from the language, what I felt the film was lacking is a sense of being a Welsh film. Okay. Now, obviously, I have this superficial connection to Welsh culture, you know, through having spent a fair amount of time there as a child, but... Cinema can communicate a bold and vibrant sense of identity for places you've actually never been to. You know, whether Mm. or not that's then accurate is up for debate, but you can still get a sense of a cinematic place. You know, there is cinema's Spain. You Mm. know, there is cinema's England, you know, which at the moment is being very defined by sort of made-for-older-people twee comedies. But there is Mm. a cinematic sense of what England is. I wanted to say that about The Invitation. It felt like a movie about... England by someone who'd never been to England. Okay. <laughs> <Fun>. <laughs> it's like, yeah, when Wes Anderson makes a movie about Japan and it's actually more about the cult, the media of Japan, mm. this felt like that. The Invitation is, yeah, a movie about old British gothic horror and such. Anyway, The Feast has a very deeply Scandian Germanic feel to it. Okay. It's a lot like Goodnight Mommy, a German horror movie. It's a lot like Antichrist and even a little bit of Bergman in the sense of like Hour of the Wolf. It's unsettling interactions it's hanging silences it's mysterious people lingering shots of cold modernist architecture and then dense forests it's little bursts of extreme violence and a, a droning score that builds until something innocuous breaks the character's chain of thought and then everything's fine it's all a bit familiar mm. it's also just a little bit gripey there's a se- there are serious grievances being aired in the film which feel very particular to wales you know and but also quite generally it's about the effects of the rich coming in and building sanitized and alien structures in the middle of beautiful Welsh countryside, mm. disrespecting nature and heritage and losing track of your roots in favor of capitalism and faux authenticity. And mm. that's all real and distressing and affects us all. But the portrayal comes across more as irritation than outrage. Okay. In the Q&A, the director and producer described going to visit this house as a potential set, and they were shown the isolation chamber in the heart of the house, where inhabitants Mm. are encouraged to... It's basically just like a chimney made of stone. And you're encouraged to go in there, subject yourself to the elements, um, and have a kind of authentic relationship with nature, but in this very sanitized and isolated space. 
and they are laughing at this with the same kind of self-satisfied snort you might hear from a hipster passing a Starbucks. And <laughs> that snort mentality is at the heart of the feast a little bit. Okay. I want to compare it to Mark Jenkins' Bait from a couple of years ago, which is a Cornish film um, about Cornish fishermen losing their homes and their livelihood to a changing era and having to contend with tourists from London who buy up holiday homes out there and who do not understand or care about their fading way of life. Mm. That's a film that absolutely feels inseparable from its heritage as a Cornish film. That couldn't be made anywhere else. It's a gorgeous cinematic landscape that has been built, which it now occupies, and so feels new, and yet so special that, you know, it must have always existed. This must have Mm. always been what Cornwall is like cinematically. It has that natural feeling to it. And we're apparently going to be hearing a lot more Cornish in his upcoming second feature, Ennis Men. Ooh, Ooh interesting. E- yeah, even the title means Stone Island in Cornish, mm. which I'm looking forward to Ennis Men. Mm. Yeah, that movie is Cornish film. This feels secondhand Scandi. Okay. And it's a fine example of what it is, but it's only three stars because I just I want to see something that feels quintessentially and uniquely Welsh. And yeah. I hope that this movie is a success so that the industry can have a bit of a boost and you know, we can get some more shots at that because yeah. I don't think this is it. This just felt like something we've seen before. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm. I want Welsh mm. cinema. I want yeah. Wel- Cardiff wood. Yeah. New key wood. New key? Are we just yeah. naming Welsh towns now? Yeah, that's literally all I've got. New Swansea? Port. New Portland. Newport? Swansea wood. not one. Swansea wood's pretty Newport good. Newport is. Bridge End. There's I'm just new... going to do the Welsh, the train line along the south of Wales I've taken too many times. Um, <laughs> Love that bit of Wales. Milford Haven. Yeah. Haverford West. Apparently a lot of filming goes on in North Wales. So I don't know if that's more like fantasy feel. It's just different, isn't it? You've got yeah, Snowdonia up there. So you've got a massive oh, national yeah. park. Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah. You can get and a lot Forestry. And... Yes. But it's there's national parks all over Wales. It's... It's oh. a, it's a wonderful country and, and more castles much. per square mile than anywhere else on earth. Mm, good, real, really old castles. Don't know what they Those built. Really them. old Welsh castles. Don't know what they built them for. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, <laughs> come on, no need for that. We're well, just no neighbours and mates. That. Let's have some mates. of your sheep <laughs> and your land. Yeah, some of your land and your coal. Well, I don't think you will. Oh, Mister Glendur, you're always causing trouble. <laughs> ah. Well, we're going to have to stop having fun for a bit because, well, no, not entirely, because we're going to talk about where is Anne Frank. Oh, okay. Interesting. I've not heard of this. Mm, no, it's been very under-publicized, I must mm. say. Uh, Waltz with Bashir director, Ari Folman. Ah. Yeah, he returns to direct a film about Anne Frank, as explored through the fantasy premise that the girl Frank addressed in her diary, Kitty, has come to life in modern Amsterdam. And Kitty is reading the diary, hunting the streets for Anne Frank, who she feels she has lost, and explores her fate and her legacy. Mm. It's an animated film aimed at a younger audience. It has a PG certificate over here in the UK. So, obviously you're going to court controversy in introducing magical realism to a film about Anne Frank. Mm. And sometimes it does feel as though the digressions are detracting from Frank's story, particularly the screen time that gets devoted to Kitty's doomed romance with a modern day Dutch youth. Mm. And, you know, there's a whole thing about how they introduce these rules, like she can't be too far away from Anne Frank's diary or she'll start to dissolve and all Mm. of this. And it's a it's not it's a bit and it's not quite hitting the mark, I don't think. But Mm. for the most part, it's actually a wonderful way of restoring Anne Frank's character and humor 
mm. from what we know from the diary, you know, to her to the narrative of her life. It's a very colorful and whimsical um, story, even as dark times start to arrive. It recalls the boy in the striped pajamas, another mm. attempt to articulate to younger people the horrors of the Holocaust. And I think doing this is always going to be controversial because any concession towards protecting innocence in the in the audience will be seen as sanitizing the Holocaust. And any attempt at going for a full-on portrayal will be seen as morbid, mm. you know, and either way you're going to be accused of exploitation. Yeah. I think it's worth doing. I think it's worth introducing the idea. It's obviously a, a discussion I'm not qualified to have as to when kids should learn about the Holocaust, but I think broaching the subject is a good idea. Um, and if you're going to do so, you have to go to the darkest places in order to tell the story. And the film does a good job of rendering the heartbreak of what actually happened to Anne Frank. Um, not portraying it in any way, of course. Mm. It gets recounted by someone who knew her in the camp, so you get audio describing what happened to her after her time in the attic. So there's a middle ground struck there. Um, it is slightly sentimental um, in the sense that it brings the tragedy down to a single lost life, very much like the boy in the striped pajamas did. But I think that's how understanding of the Holocaust tends to begin for young people. Like, mm. I think learning about Anne Frank's death was the first thing, certainly the earliest thing I remember about learning about the Holocaust. Mm. So we were given the diary when I was in primary school and we, you know, found out she died in this tragedy. And, we, you know, even before we were able to understand what that was, we had this sort of name and face and yeah. a palatable but tragic narrative before you're yeah. ready to learn, a, you know, of the scale and senseless mm. brutality of the thing. It's it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of a process of instilling that sense of moral obligation to oppose inhumanity from, you know, wherever it may come that comes, you know, from a true understanding of this horrific thing. Um, and it's a way it's a way in that the film is offering, a way to start the conversation with younger people. And rather boldly, and I think beautifully, if slightly awkwardly, it highlights the hypocrisy of naming all of the surrounding streets and museums and libraries and schools after Anne Frank, and yet still subjecting undocumented immigrants living in similar areas mm. to a similar kind of rough treatment albeit one that's not going to end in an extermination camp necessarily, but still tragically uncertain fates. Yeah. It's a bold comparison to draw, mm. but one made with good intentions, and it's never too early to start recognizing fascism around you. Yeah. This also serves to go against one aspect of the film that I did take issue with, which is Frank's pre-attic world is portrayed mm. as this gorgeous and vibrant place with, you know, dances okay. and music and all this stuff. Uh, the world of a teenage girl, yeah. where she has love interests and friends and all the rest. And then the Nazis show up as these otherworldly, tall, alien, just kind of gaunt demons with death-masked faces. Outsiders. Mm. Um, and I worry that it suggests that the Nazis came from nowhere. You yeah. know, it's like Rather a natural disaster. the people down the same street as you. Exactly. We yeah. recently watched the stage show of Cabaret, which was very much we not did, meant for kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> on every ah. level. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, on, on pretty much every level. Don't I don't think they swear very much, but that's about the only thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll get everything else, though. Yeah. Um, but the musical made the point that the Nazis were the same people who had just inhabited the bright, boisterous, mm -hmm. you know, colourful world. And it's important to note that the atrocities were committed not by cartoon monsters, but by flesh and blood men and women. And that's why it's good that at the heart of the anti-immigration story in the film is the slightly charming doughy policeman who earlier tries to help Kitty. You know, mm. he's just a man following orders and yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not Not some evil outside monster coming in and yeah. ruining everything yeah but just normal people going normal along person. With bad policies sometimes mm. he's friendly sometimes he's cheerful he has you know prejudicial beliefs yeah. which you know 
make this kind of thing possible. And that's what it's all about. So the film is a little too sentimental and not all of its experiments work, but as a method of introducing younger audiences to the story of Anne Frank and the Holocaust, it's a very sensitive, sincere and ambitious attempt. So I'm going to give it four stars. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. And again, it's just those digressions that really detract from it. Mm. Um, but I, I, you you think of Waltz with Bashir and all the sort of humour elements to it, even when it was telling a sto- this horrible story about the um, atrocities out there in, um, was it the Lebanese War? You know what? I've never watched Waltz, Waltz with Bashir. Very good film, Waltz with Bashir. Yes, the Lebanon War. Mm. What language do they speak in? Um, Arabic, but uh, it's an Israeli adult animated. Right. I'm reading Wikipedia. Yeah, it's an I Israeli think they're film, speaking, so they're I think probably they're speaking also Hebrew. speaking Hebrew. The voices in that movie are just so good. Like, I know it's a superficial thing to get drawn to, but the what, the deep voices that everybody speaks Hebrew and especially in the beginning of the movie, mm. just... Ooh, sometimes I just rewatch the movie just for that. <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah. Ah, yeah. tell you what else is nice. The last film to discuss today. Ooh, Ooh, that is nice. That is nice, actually. I need to get a bed. Let's get it over and done with. I need to climb back into the bath. I left it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It'll be freezing cold at this point. Oh, worth it. <laughs> I might drink it. Uh, mm. Pray. 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 Eat, pray, love. <laughs> <laughs> with an E? Are we talking Yeah, with an, with e? an E. Yeah. Okay. Eat, no, it's eat, pray, comma, love. <laughs> <laughs> eat, pray, love. Eat, pray, love. Aww, Aww. Right, hon. Eat, pray, love. <laughs> it's a beautiful romance between two peregrine falcons. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd actually watch that. Yeah, I would. <laughs> they have this really cozy relationship, but then every so often they just eviscerate a field mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, just like my parents. And that could so. be the Welsh film because ah! there is a peri- peregrine falcons living there is on a one of the bridges. A periphery. A periphery. In periphery. Peri- 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 it does sound like a Welsh town. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> In on the bridge over to Anglesey, there's a pair of peregrine falcons ah. living there, which is beautiful. Yeah. Mm. What's the name of the place they filmed the prisoner? Oh, um. Oh gosh, I was right near it just a few weeks ago. Uh, Port Merion. Port Merion, yes. Yeah. That's also up near there, very yeah. close to Anglesey. We used to go there a lot. It's yeah. Very pretty. Yeah. It's very pretty. It's very pretty. It's very pretty Merion. The whole area. The whole <sighs> the whole country. The whole country. But I'll tell you what's very pretty, and that's prey. And mm. that's um, 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dan Trachtenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent film, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Directs this prequel to the Predator movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah, set in 1719. On the Great Plains of America, on the verge of colonialization by those damn French. Definitely the French. Don't look any further into this. <laughs> only the French. The whole only, only, only the French. Only the French. I think the Spanish might have been there, but no one else. No one else, absolutely. Certainly uh, no one English language speaking. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really surprising how English became the dominant language in America, really. It really is considering all the French, French and Spanish people. that were there. If they yep. taught all of the all of the settlers um, English as a prank. <laughs> <laughs> It's very funny, actually. Joke's on you. <laughs> you speak English now. <laughs> Make sure you don't change the spelling of any of this. We won't. <laughs> uh, the movie pits a Comanche warrior woman played by Native American actor Amber Midfunder. God, Native American names are good. Against Ugh. a uh, terrifying predator who seeks only honorable and fair combat between himself, a heavily armed future soldier with powers of invisibility and lasers, and like bears and wolves and that. Wow. But only fair combat. <laughs> but also he's going to put himself against Amber Midfunders Naru. Yes. Naru. Naru is her name. So, 
I actually misunderstood the original Predator growing up because I was a lad and I just wanted action and stuff. And it it was explained to me very eloquently by Phil Harker-Smith from Rollercast. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the movie was a fairly dull film that opens with this great action set piece and then mostly involves wandering around the jungle, occasionally shooting at nothing. But as Lolly Adafope pointed out in Brett Goldstein's films to be buried with, with almost any piece of criticism of a film, you can counter it by saying, maybe that's the point. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much anything anyone says about any movies. Maybe that was the point. Yeah. And indeed, that was the point. They were meant to be boringly wandering around the woods shooting at nothing because... Yeah, Phil explained to me that the movie is about the trauma of Vietnam and how these really gruff and capable army types are completely undermined by a guerrilla fighting force they're ill-equipped to, to contend with. Mm. Um, and going further, you can see how the men are falsely emboldened by their superior weaponry and technology and then have mm. to rediscover a more primal form of strength and survival. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah. so oh, it's a good film then. Oh, right. <laughs> well, now you told me what it's about. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, subsequent films in the Predator franchise tended to lose track of that survival aspect of the original film, although points to Predator 2 for making it an urban jungle. Um, Nothing scarier. Oh my god. <laughs> Commuters. Mm. The real uh, depressing thing is that nobody noticed all the <laughs> mm. How much for a sandwich? Just f- kill me now, Predator. <laughs> the Predator contends with the high price of coffee and too many options. <laughs> subsequent films tended to lose track of the survival aspect of the original film, and the relationship to primal survival instincts, instead focusing on law building, which is the very best way to ruin a simple premise. Yes. Just a future Agreed. soldier in the woods. Just deal with the woods even, not even the jungle, the woods. <laughs> Hamster local Heath. woods. Yeah. <laughs> are you fly-tipping, mate? That was a flawless impression of Predator Vision. Oh, I've not also not watched Predator. Ah, that's fair enough. There's other fun 80s action movies. It's worth seeing the first... Um, oh, God, I'm, I'm still a kid. It's worth seeing the first half an hour for when it's fun. <laughs> Have you not learned? Damn you, Phil. You imparted you nothing. The point of the film is that it's not fun. <laughs> you must watch the not fun bits and enjoy it. For a while, I had a little group of friends who every time they came to the house, by w- weird coincidence, Predator would be on and they would all insist on us watching it. And it's mm. like, but it's even after the fun bit. <laughs> oh they should have kept Jean-Claude Van Damme in this he originally it, played the Predator is it the bit after where they do that good handshake they do a good handshake that's great just, that's all I've seen is the clip where yeah. um, Schwarzenegger walks getting, in and does that cool handshake getting with the soft other guy. Dylan too much pencil mm-hmm. pushing yeah, yeah that's very good then they go and shoot up a. Um, they do a, a hot, they do a colonialism in a really oh, cool okay. way with like machine guns and uh, grenade oh, launchers. Is there any other way? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! And oh. Um, yeah, then they just run around the woods, scared. Okay. This film fortunately does feel like a more return to basics, uh, but with some exciting new context. Because most of the film sees Nara squaring off or avoiding combat with her fearsome foe, mm. and the fight sequences are really exciting without losing the sense of grounded reality. Even when you are watching a giant alien fight a bear, it's like, mm. yeah, that's how that would go. <laughs> Amber Midfunder is fantastic. She has the physicality and steely determination to be a great action lead, and I hope she gets mm. more stuff after this. But the film also doesn't shy away from the, the non-extraterrestrial, the terrestrial threats that she's <laughs> facing, um, including condescending paternal attitudes of her own people. Um, you know, especially what you know in reaction to her desire to help her people through combat and hunting. Mm. Um, yeah, and also her attempt to sort of. Uh, progress in this society she still faces sexist attitudes 
um, tangles of hostile beasties that are all around the place, and the encroaching colonial powers who are not only actively hostile towards the Comanche, but are also causing ecological damage that is threatening their way of life, most specifically getting rid of all the buffalo. Mm. So, yeah, it's a film with quite a lot going on, and it's a very engaging and exciting film as well. It's, you know, a, a ferocious sort of fight for survival with um, hard edges that looks good as well. And with all that in mind, all you have to ask yourself is why the hell isn't this in cinemas? Isn't it? No, it's just on Disney+. Plus. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what it is about this movie that made the people at Disney think that it wasn't going to be commercially viable in cinemas. I don't know. Do you have an answer, Paul? Oh, because about the colonialism. (laughs) Is it because of the colonialism? (laughs) That's so often the reaction to things that we have to wonder about. Oh, is it because of the colonialism? Oh. It is still, I'm afraid. It's actually quite a lot. It's quite a lot of the problems. It's quite a lot. It's the racism. (laughs) It's the racism again. God. Hang on a minute. Is this the racism again? That's a line from Get Out. (laughs) Are you guys? Hang on a minute. Is this it? Oh, that explains you, it. You guys. Oh, and the mustache falls off, and the guy runs out the room. Whoops! I didn't see wearing a mustache. There was no need. Anyway, five stars. Great okay, for price. Excellent. It was very, very, very good. good. And I am out of movies. Good because I am out of time. <laughs> Fantastic. Cheer I'm patient. Three thousand years of longing coming up. Ooh, ooh, what's ooh, that? Ooh. Of longing till our next episode. You mean? <laughs> Until we get could time be. to record one, it could be. Could be. Now, Tilda Swinton finds an Idris Elba genie. That's good. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Find out about that next time. Yeah. Jen, Great. Jen, that was really good music that I've been hearing this whole time. What's all that about? Muse- music? Oh, the like the music for our yeah. show? <laughs> that you're fading in right now, I assume, <laughs> already? Yep. Uh, well, that music was done by my very cool brother, Jacob Blundell. Woo! Thanks, Jacob. Uh, um, yeah. And I- that's that music was made for this podcast, which is called Jen and the Film Critic. Yeah. I am Jen. I am Film Critic. Paul Salt. <laughs> and this is a Film Mayhem podcast. Um, if you want to get in touch with us... <laughs> You can uh, you can get in touch via Twitter and Facebook and yeah. other social media platforms. Um, we also have an email address, uh, filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I think that about sums it up, really. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. That's all I've got to say about anything in particular. I can tell you about some other things that we're doing if you want. We do a Dungeons yeah. and Dragons podcast, <gasps> me and Paul, that we're on. Yeah. We play a silly game with some friends. It's mostly improvised comedy role play with some <laughs> dice thrown in to randomize things. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's called Quest Fantastic. Quest Fantastic. Uh, and I also do another podcast mm. um, where we play other games. It's a very similar concept, but not with Dungeons and Dragons, just with other types of games. It's also <laughs> essentially improvised comedy fiction with yeah. some dice rolls to randomize things. But I do it with some other friends, and that's called Roll Plus Heart. Really, roll great with two L's, like roll a dice. It's a it's a pun. That's the one um, that has chemistry between the people on it, right? Oh yeah, 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 cool. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the good one. That's the good one. That's the one I listen. That's to. the good one. And you also <laughs> do Paul with uh, you also do one good thing. Yes, I do one good thing. A podcast where we find all the good things in bad movies. So check that out at OGT Pod. Yes, there we yeah. go. So that's some extra content for you. Yeah. Um, and until next time, smell you um, later. Smell you later. See you, my prey. Eat prey, love. <laughs> Eat prey, love. Eat prey, love. You're right. Eat prey, love. <laughs> you haven't touched your prey. You haven't touched your prey. Oh, that's a shame. It's got... Would you like me to warm you up some? <laughs> Not prey. Would you like me to hunt you another one? <laughs>
Got a little vole here, if you like. <laughs> Just a little vole. I was invited here as a guest. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, ba -ba -ba -ba. you. <laughs> that was him getting killed. <laughs> 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 <laughs>